Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, and chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, and chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we want to talk about today is blessed to be a blessing and what that means. Um, we read chapter 11, verse 30 before this because I think it's important. They're all kind of connected. Uh, there is a concept called ex nihilo in Latin. Ex nihilo means uh, out of nothing. So uh, the famous concept of ex nihilo is kratio ex nihilo, which is creation out of nothing. And you see there's a pattern in the Bible that is formed that we can't miss. When God created the world, what was there? Nothing. It's darkness. Um, nil, right? Nilo. And so he, he would do creatio. He would create out of nothing. But this pattern continues to go. And we see even though he didn't raise up Israel ex nihilo, we see that there is a kind of ex nihilo that takes place. Sarai and Abram. That, that, that was their names at the time before it was changed to Sarah and Abraham. Um, they were barren. Barren is a form of ex nihilo. Brueggemann calls barrenness, especially in the Bible, an effective metaphor for hopelessness. Because in barrenness, there is no foreseeable future and there is no human power that you can invent a future with. You know, if I wanted to plant a garden, I don't do it in a sandbox. If I want to start a cell phone company, I don't start it in Antarctica. I looked it up. I was wondering how many people are in Antarctica so that I can use this. And there are zero people, so that was good. Uh, there's about 4,000 people that come in and out, but they don't actually have residency there. That's for the nerds. Um, but 
not having a baby at the time or struggling at the time, barrenness at the time, and we still can, I believe, relate to this today, was a form of hopelessness. Check, check. All right, let's start over. Um, Brueggemann calls it an affected, <laughs> just kidding. Um, and so, this whole concept of barrenness is something that exposes us. It's real. It's life. It's something that we may want to hide, but it's there. And even people with babies, a lot of people, a lot of parents have had that season of barrenness. And if you are in that season, whether it's physically barren or emotionally or spiritually, just know that you are not alone, especially in this place. It's funny, um, as an older person, uh, when people go, oh, it's okay, you know, if you don't have a baby right away, you know, it's just so much trouble, so much work, it's just, it's a pain, you don't, you'll, you'll be so happy that you don't have a baby yet. And I always find, I found that odd when people said that. If you have a baby, and you tell people, oh, having a baby is so much work, I feel like it's the same as someone who's a millionaire, who has a ton of money, and goes to someone who's poor and says, oh, you know, being a millionaire is so much trouble. You know, there's all this baggage that comes with having a million dollars. And then you listen, you be like, oh, okay, okay. No, I still want a million dollars. I still do. And that's how you would think. In the Bible, it also says that, you know, children are an inheritance and blessing of the Lord. So if someone does have a child, you should be happy for them. And I am genuinely happy. And if someone's trying, we pray for them. And this is how we act in the church. But Abram and Sarai at the time saw no future for their family. They didn't have anybody that had this past. Like we see, we have a testimony of people relying on God and God being faithful. But they were the first. They were barren, so they couldn't have children. So what did they do? They stayed with their father. They couldn't start their own family, so their only choice was to join another one. But this one, Terah's family, Abram's father also didn't have a lasting future. In fact, we know in between verses 30 and uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Abram's father dies. And so hopelessness is actually, I believe, the darkest and most fearful crisis one can go through. And once again, it could be physical, it could be emotional. Many times it is linked to being spiritual. And this is what Abram and Sarai had to go through. Some of us may know this, but there is a guy named Martin Pistorius. Martin Pistorius, when he was 12, started to lose his bodily functions. It was a mysterious illness. And it slowly started to rob his ability to walk, talk, communicate on any level until finally he descended into this vegetative state. And it left the doctors baffled and his family was despairing. 
um, the doctors told uh, Martin's parents, you, c you should just take him home because he just doesn't have enough time. He, does, he doesn't have any time. His time is very limited. But his mother would later recall saying that Martin just kept on going and going. In the first two years, Martin was in this kind of coma-like condition. He was motionless, unresponsive, and unconscious. But after two years, his mind woke up, and it began to wake up. And well, the unfortunate thing is it was only his mind that woke up. He began to recognize and see, but he couldn't do anything with his body because only his mind was awake and so he couldn't communicate with anyone. And he would say he would fall into this incredible hopelessness, despair, darkness. There would be a routine that he would go through. And in the morning, um, his father would take him to a care facility. And eight hours later, he would take him back home, feed, wash. And then that cycle would go again and again. Doctors had no idea how to handle it. They misdiagnosed him, obviously. And he would later on share that even though he was awake, uh, he could feel and he was able to recognize everything. So he would share that in his life, while he was in this vegetative state but mind awake, he would get abused uh, verbally. Um, and he didn't understand why. He's like, I, I'm just sitting here. Why are people just verbally abusing me? He would get abused physically, and he would get abused sexually. And he was witnessing this, feeling this, experiencing this, and he couldn't do anything about it. I think that's hopelessness. He was so full of despair. One day, his mom came over to him. He was still in this vegetative state, and she said to him, I hope you die. And she later would try to kill herself, uh, commit suicide, which was unsuccessful. And for the next decade, this happened for over 12 years, his father would just go, drop him off at the care center in the morning, pick him back up eight hours later, feed, wash, put him to bed. But he recalls this one moment. It was a particularly low moment in his own words his dad left him alone in the car, and he went quickly to buy something at the store. And a random stranger just walked by. And in his words, he goes, he looked at me and smiled. And he will go on to say that he may never know why this random man came by, looked at him, and smiled, but that ignited something in him. This simple act made him want to keep on going. And he started to use his mind every way he could. His imagination came alive. He started imagining scenarios of just ants, and he would imagine ants going back and forth from the floor. He started to figure out what time it was, even though he couldn't move um, by the shadows in the, uh, um, that were cast on the ground. Until one day, of the humdrum of the continual experience he was having, one person came in who didn't work with him before and started to see that his eyes were reacting to what she was saying. And so 
what they did was they they recognized like this person's actually conscious and now he tells his story around the world in fact he has a book that he written called ghost boy and he has a ted talk if you ever want to listen to him uh tell his story too and he would say even in that state after his heart changed the highlight of his day was when his dad came to pick him up uh, from the care center and he would have this joy and this hope and imagination that came alive in abram's and sarai's state of utter hopelessness hopelessness that the world had no answer for it would be god who came by in their state of barrenness and directly speak his powerful word and that's why what we want to explore in this chapter is the history of the curse versus the power of the blessing the history of the curse versus the power of the blessing you know it's important that we also as god's people learn to listen for his voice and not anyone else's and how do we know it's god's voice you know we as humans we have a tendency to make up our own solution don't we we fill our own lives and heads with falsehoods and we do become deceived that is a reality i was able to go to a conference uh this past week in houston and we we're talking about statistics and there's a statistic out there that christians make up about 70 to 75 percent of the american population and uh, our speaker at the time was able to decipher and discern but split up what that meant of the 70 75 percent 25 so a, basically a third never go to church um, another third go to church maybe on easter and christmas and another third go regularly meaning at least three times a month and so he was able to discern you know what we can say that we are christian but the the actual number of true christians in this country is lower it may be 25 percent or even lower and of course there are some people that might respond well i don't have to go to church to be a christian and that's definitely in the bible in the book of plutonians chapter 5 verse 32 and i also think it's in the letter to the i don't think so um chapter 1 verse 1 which is a very short verse it states i don't think so um it's nowhere in the bible guys in fact um the bible continues to encourage meeting together growing together encouraging one another having fellowship with one another praying together studying the word together to grow as a christian acts chapter 2 verse 42 is um really something that's highlighted that's highlighted in and if we continue to deceive ourselves how do i discern what the will of god is or how do i know his voice and we disregard this basic truth i do think that we'll continue to see falsehoods continue to deceive people uh, we are in an age where misinformation and falsehoods are being spread so fast and absorbed so quickly it's so it's it's kind of concerning um, many of you may know about uh, the story this reporter did he made a fake restaurant the fake restaurant was called the shed at Dulch, dulwich and 
this restaurant did not exist, and it but eventually became the number one rated restaurant in London in TripAdvisor. Um, he did it by putting up fake reviews. He did it by making a fake website. And if you go to the website, the Shed of Dulwich, um, they have pictures of food. And if you look at these pictures, he said he made it. It looks very artsy. It's like vegan, gluten-free, all that stuff is there. And you look at these dishes, what he did was he took like bleach tablets and put shaving cream and some sprinkles on it. And he would put that on his website. People just ate it up. And it became the number one London restaurant in TripAdvisor. He, and then in that website, he goes, we don't even serve uh, particular dishes per se. We serve moods. M-O-O-D-S, moods. So his dishes were like lust. And lust was rabbit kidneys on toasted season with saffron and oyster bisque served with a side of pomegranate souffle. That was lust. So you could go, you know, and order lust. And if, if this didn't give it away, I don't know what could have. If you looked at the website, there is also a dish called Comfort. It's Yorkshire blue macaroni and cheese seasoned with bacon shavings served in a 600 thread count Egyptian cotton bowl. That doesn't even exist. How do you make a bowl out of Egyptian cotton? You sleep on Egyptian cotton. You don't make a bowl and put macaroni and cheese in it. And it comes, of course, it comes with a side of sourdough bread. So that's cool. Um, and people ate it up. He, he opened it for one day. If, you, if you've been following, he opened it. He put like restaurants, ambient noises in the background. And he had people blindfolded. He had like the top people all over the world come to his fake restaurant that didn't exist. It was just, um, just uh, an abandoned building. And he would have them sit outside blindfolded. And he would serve them like canned beans. And people would love it. It's like, this is, this is great. This is the ultimate experience. Um, and he did it as an experiment. And this is, our, this, is our, this is something that we are dealing with today. We're trying to figure out what's real, what's not. How do you know? How do I really discern this is God's voice? How did Abram know? How do we know as people of God and people now have different things that they're saying uh, the president is the prophet of God I just want to say no president is a prophet sent by God because we already have one true prophet king and priest as our Lord and Savior there are good presidents and there are bad presidents and sometimes we have really really bad presidents we all know who I'm talking about. It's Jimmy Carter. And so Jimmy Carter is funny because he was probably the, the most evangelical Christian president we ever had. But he he's uh, unarguably um, probably one of the worst presidents we ever had. Um, there was an energy crisis that Jimmy Carter went into that the whole country was facing. And he thought that we would never get out of the energy crisis. So his thing was... I'm going to make a little video and put it on TV. And he would sit in his cardigan and he would say, the way we deal with this energy crisis is everyone has to put on a sweater. N I'm serious. That, w that was his answer. And then people would look and be like, what is going on? <laughs> Do you but anyway, um, there are good presidents, bad presidents. But I would like to say there is no pro 
prophet, and the president isn't a prophet sent by God. And we need to learn as Christians how to discern the will of God. And as Christians, we discern the will of God by the gathering of his people in worship and the study of his word. We discern the will of God by the gathering of his people in worship and the study of his word. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is how the apostles grew and discerned the will of God. They devoted themselves to the teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, offer up your bodies as living sacrifices. In verse 2, it says, and then renew your mind, transform yourself so that you can discern what the will of God is. And the way we do it is through the word of God, the study of scripture, and the worship, the act of worship that we do. Um, there are things concerning you know, there are things that we that concern us. We wonder about, uh, well, then, is my specific call and will, is the will of God to be a blank, a fireman or whatever it is? Or who should I marry God? Um, what career path should I choose? And Tim Keller uses this example uh, of this life, of his life, when he plants a church, when he planted the church in New York City. And people would ask him if he was absolutely sure that it, if it was God's will for him to plant a church in New York City. And I want you to listen to this. Because a lot of us grew up in this kind of thinking and mentality. What's the will of God for me in my life? Is it to take this very specific path, to go to this very specific school, to do this very specific thing? And when people asked him, were you absolutely certain that it was God's will for you to start a church in New York City, he would respond, no. Then he would go to say, he's not actually positive that he was called to plant a church. But you know what he is absolutely sure on? He was absolutely sure that we are not to worship idols. That we're not to murder. That we're, we're not to do or do numerous other things that God revealed in his word. And he was certain that God desires people to know him and that there weren't many people starting churches in New York City. And so there was a need. So he decided to plant a church. And so he would eventually go on to say, the good question isn't so much, God, what is your will in my life? But rather, God, what is your will and how can I play a role? And so this is what God teaches and speaks through not just Abram and Sarai, not just Abraham and Sarah's life, but he speaks through the hopelessness of every single one of the people he has called. You know, Sarah wasn't the only one that was barren. In fact, it was Rebecca and it was Rachel and it happened generation after generation. And in their hopelessness, God was faithful and he met them every time. In fact, we know about um, Hannah's barrenness and eventually she had Samuel. Samuel was the answer to her prayer. And so if you know a Samuel, just know there's a lot of history in that name. It means a lot. And so God would speak into the hopelessness by literally giving Abraham these words. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In that hopelessness, God declares that Abraham will have every reason to hope because God is that very hope. He doesn't just say, you know what, you're barren, I'll give you a child. But he tells them that he will fulfill the reason why you ever wanted a child, why you would ever need a child. The blessing of God is the complete fulfillment of our desires and needs. God was showing Abram and Sarah that indeed he himself is that very fulfillment. He is not just the source of hope, but hope itself. The blessing given to Abraham, if we read it carefully, is tied with the very God who's giving it. But why does God bless Abraham then? So that you will be a blessing. First, we cannot leave this fact that if we are in a state of despair, then God is our only hope. But God is faithful. He does bring his people to himself and he is the one that rescues. But why does God bless Abraham? And he says, so that, so that you will be a blessing. Abram and Sarah and his whole family are given this blessing so that they will be a blessing to the whole world. You know, food is a blessing. It's an especial bless. It's a, especially a blessing for me. I love food. I love bread. But if you just eat and not work, you get fat. By blessing others, this is our act of working. And using that blessing to build each other up, the church up, this is our act of work and worship. And God continues to show this fact to his people. You know, when he gave them manna, it would rot after one day. Don't store. Don't hoard. Don't act in selfishness, greed, or fear but in generosity, kindness, and love. When we deal with each other, we deal with each other in understanding. And so that's why we, as a church, want to say we want to be a blessing. It is God who took us out of the state of hopelessness and despair. When nothing in this world, there was no device, no invention that could have saved us, God sent the very hope that we needed himself to be a blessing and that's why we can literally carry out this blessing to be a blessing to all nations after Jesus gave us the great commission that fulfillment of this Abrahamic blessing takes place in the great commission so that's why we can encourage each other let's be a blessing by inviting people to join our fellowship Let's start investing in those people so that they too, in turn, will start being a blessing to others. And let's start using the imagination what, that God has given us so that we can reach out in new and exciting ways to serve others and be a blessing. And when that happens, we see slowly but surely the world is changing around us. People seeing that there truly is a hope that they can hold on to. Um, Andor Folds, when he was 16, he was already a skilled pianist. And he was experiencing a troubled year. And he was Hungarian. He was a young Hungarian pianist. 
And um, one day, one of the most renowned pianists came to Budapest where he was. It was Emil von Sauer. And he was not only famous for his abilities, he was the last surviving pupil of the great Franz Liszt. I mentioned Franz Liszt last week, so I thought I could continue talking about Liszt because we're all excited about Liszt. Um, so Von Sarr requested that Folds play for him, and Folds obliged with some of the most difficult works of Bach, Beethoven, and Schumann. And when he finished, Von Sarr walked over to him and kissed him on the forehead. And this is what he said, My son, when I was your age, I became a student of Liszt. He kissed me on the forehead after my first lesson, saying, take good care of that kiss. It comes from Beethoven, who gave it to me after hearing me play. And he finished with this, I have waited years to pass on this sacred heritage, but now I feel you deserve it. That was a blessing that Andrew Foltz could never forget, that he cherished for his entire life. You know, the blessing that God gave us through Abram is filled by the Great Commission. We are to reach the ends of the earth. The ultimate blessing that we can give people is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Not only to share this hope, but have this hope be their hope. By reaching the ends of the earth, making disciples is the blessing God wants us to be. And let's be that church. In this anniversary, year, celebration, Thanksgiving, you know, there's food. There's going to be, I think there's some prizes. I saw like toilet paper and stuff. I'm really excited. Who can't use toiletries? Uh, that's what I'm most excited about. Um, I think there's like a roast pig. And, and so we do this so that we can be a blessing. But to remember that, you know, God is the source of this blessing. And we could do this with joy and really celebrate God's goodness. And let's really do that as we continue on in year two of CGS. Let's pray.